comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox. On the web at maineboats.com. Hi, this is Arthur calling from Sicily, urging you all to pledge to WERU. I really enjoyed listening to the station while I, my, and my hometown music while I was living in Italy, and I enjoyed sharing the station with my Italian friends who were very appreciative. Please call. The phone number is 1-800-643-6273. Thank you. Boat Talk is brought to you in part by Captain Yo's Flaming Fish Performance Models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net, little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. minute and a half past 10 o'clock. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at weru.org. Stay tuned for Boat Talk. Good morning, good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month, a little bit after 10 o'clock, close enough to, to uh, start up the Boat Talk show here on Community Radio. Boat Talk's a call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval. Uh, Boat Talk is co-hosted by your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And Boat Talk, even for people who don't know that much about boats, Boat Talk is uh, a show that will probably be yachts of fun for you. Yachts of fun. Yachts That's of fun. a good pun. Alan always has to have a pun to get boat talk going. I like that as, as a yacht person, uh, so to speak, you know, professionally for anyway. Us, yes, yeah, for, for Professional us. yacht people. Yeah, That's what yachts, we are. Yachts are fun for us. Yes, they are. That's, uh, I like that one. I have yachts more, but we'll say those for some other show. Imagine you do, bud. Imagine you do on a good day. So, speaking of puns, you laid a couple down to the World <laughs> Boatyard Dog Championships More the groaners, other day. Yep. Yeah, it was uh, a couple of groaners. Su- it was Sunday. a couple of good ones, too, I thought. But uh, we had a pretty good time Sunday morning. Boy, wasn't the weather great. It was a, uh, oh, perfect, a perfect day. summer day, uh, Sunday morning in August. It just couldn't ever get better than that. Yeah, as I said, an official dog day. Yeah, what you dream of all, all year round, basically. And there we were with uh, hundreds of, of uh, you know, nice folks, let alone the main boats, homes, and harbor show that was going on at the Rockland, uh, you know, town waterfront there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh Boats uh, tied to the dock to look at, uh, you know, between the boats and the exhibits, about 200. Uh, yeah, lots you know. of nice furniture and good uh, uh, food suppliers. It was, it was a, something it was for a real, everybody, real literally. Fun show. It was It was pretty cool. There were some unusual boats. There was a couple of unusual boats there. It was, uh, um, managed a little, uh, uh, you know, boat talk controversy, wandering up the dock, talking with boat people about this boat or the other. We won't go there, but, you know, uh, like I say, good time. Did you see the lady rolling around in the uh, the foot-powered double-ender? Yeah, that's been around boat shows for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think a fellow named uh, Ron 
uh, Rontila uh, uh, forward rowing system, I think it is. It works pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. What an idea, be able to face the direction you're going when you're rowing. It's just <laughs> physics, man. And, uh, you know, uh, I was uh, talking about my friend. We fixed him up with a boat to go rowing, he and the wife, and I was explaining to the wife that she didn't necessarily have to face the same way and row as he was, you know. If you think about that for a minute, it'd be better if they would, but, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She probably tired of looking at him, so she's turned around. So anyway, the uh, main boat's Holmes and Harbor Show, perfect Sunday morning, and, and six uh, – well-trained, uh, uh, you know, dogs that have been practicing and trained to a razor's edge to uh, perform. I would say five well-trained and a puppy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. There was a four-month-old puppy. Yeah. And uh, these dogs have to, uh, first they parade down and uh, with the sea princess, uh, who I confused with the sea goddess. Sea goddess had to work that morning, I guess. So sea princess filled in for her just beautifully. Mm. Yeah. And... Uh, so the dogs uh, parade in, and then one at a time, they have to go through an obstacle course of uh, lobster traps and, uh, you know... Uh, what, Little cars full of uh, duck buoys. Yeah. Uh, in and out, up and over, you know, sort of thing. And then the uh, owner and the, uh, the trainer and the dog have to get in and out of a, of a tippy dinghy. And this one was a double under, and it was pretty tippy. Yeah, it was nobody a tippy. It, nobody yeah. ever tips it over a yet, but you know, yeah, a little peapod, and and a good handler will get in the boat, get centered, and then let the dog get in. Especially the big dogs, they're what you call unpredictable ballast. You know, when the dog's <laughs> on the rail of the boat, you know, you want to be sitting someplace special yourself. So, yeah. um, but it all worked out, and then. Uh, freestyle event, and mind you, the uh, rules. Um, we have three judges out in. Uh, a boat floating in front of us with the sea princess observing the thing firsthand this is all done off a low float in the harbor we're surrounded by the crowd on the uh, on the uh, stone wall there in the pier and uh, so anyway the uh, rules are that uh, the dog and the owner have to end up wet and or yeah and or uh Cheating and bribery is not only encouraged, it's pretty much mandatory. It pretty much happens, yes. Yeah, uh, you had to incorporate uh, the number 12 because it was the 12th annual this year with, uh, you know, get the dog to eat 12 biscuits, uh, do 12, uh, you know, uh, jumps, whatever they, yeah. yeah. Or, and there are no other rules, so, you know, and uh, the freestyle event now, dogs uh, basically uh, uh, jumping and fetching and uh, people and dogs jumping into the water. There was one dog that was not... Wasn't going to go in the water, but it did. Yeah, I have a little mixed feelings about that. You know, you got an animal that really doesn't like water. Why force them to go in the water? I mean, this this dog actually was held in the arms, and when the person jumped over, the dog was being held underwater. You can imagine a dog that doesn't like water being held underwater. The held, uh, see, I was looking at it as a wet hug, but held underwater, that doesn't sound as good. Uh, Yeah, well, Yeah. yeah. But Fodder she, for dog talk next week. Uh, you know, uh, we do boat talk here on, on community radio, and should we mention it? It's the, the uh, fundraising yes, uh, we week are. here at community radio. We're, yeah, right in the depths of uh, fundraising right now, and we do have a pledge phone. I'll give it to you if you'd like to uh, so help support the community radio station or make, make a special pledge uh, in honor of boat talk or maybe a, a contribution to bring on some other good program. You can call 
is the pledge line. And it's community radio. We're boat builders, and, and we like to do radio, too. We both also do a music show. I do the Barefoot Blues Hour tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Uh, to 10. And, Alan, you... Uh, yeah, I do that. Uh, the Extra Large Soul Show, Thursday afternoons, 2 to 4. Yeah. And we do it because it's fun. And we talk about boats because it's what we know about, allegedly. Right, yeah. You know? We started with the music and got yeah. around to the boat show later on. And apparently people, uh, you know, like boat talk. Uh, our favorite compliment is, I don't know anything about boats, but I like boat talk. So, you know, uh, we get to go down to Rockland and MC this event, which is kind of weird for us because, uh, you know, we're not real announcers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We're boat builders. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a crowd we're supposed to whip up. And, and I thought the other day, I'm, I'm, I try to learn how to do this, Alan. We've done it, what, four or five or six times now? I don't know. But um, we only do it once a year, and it sneaks up, so it's hard to learn, you know. And after you do it, you go, oh, I know what I should learn. And <laughs> next year, you forgot that. So yeah. thought I learned some stuff this time. But, you know, and one thing that we don't do really is whip the crowd up, like have a clapping competition for the different dogs while the judges are conferring. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, make people, you know, that's not yeah, really what we you. do. Yeah. You know, and the big booming announcer voice, that's, that's not really what we do. So, you know, but it's pretty fun, and they were nice, and we have to go back next year. And uh, There's a bunch of people sitting around watching dogs and people who, who like dogs, of course. And, and the uh, sunshine with sparkling fun. water yeah. and a beautiful spot, uh, you know, really couldn't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, with a vet uh, standing by, so, you know, I really couldn't go wrong at all. No, the main boat's Homes and Harbor Show, and again, the Boatyard Dog uh, is a uh, makes a good T-shirt, a great hat, and uh, it's a great column featured in the magazine when it comes out, and uh, everybody looks at that first, and, and you can submit your dog, and uh, as I admit, a cat, a parrot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, what have you, uh, you know, your Boatyard pet. So, main boats, homes, and harbors, they're awful nice down there. Yeah, and we should uh, say also appreciate the fact that they are a a business member, a supporter of WERU. Thank you very much. Yeah, proper thing. Now, where else are we? We, uh, uh, Speaking of fundraising, we did a Boat Talk cruise a few uh, weeks back, and it was another... Just uh, once again, sparkling success. Uh, Three-hour cruise in the in the sunset off Northeast Harbor in the Sea Princess, yep. with uh, you know fifty or sixty of our best friends and a beautiful, um, you know, smorgasbord. Uh, uh, there was a lot of good food. That's yeah, right. it's always potluck fun. supper on the engine box. Yeah. Um, we do have another cruise coming up in September. We're going to be. Uh, Starting to sell tickets starting next week, so don't call for tickets yet. We, beginning next week, we're going to be offering tickets to uh, the Boat Talk Save Our Sound cruise. It's going to happen with Diver Ed. This cruise, is we've done uh, an annual and even two cruises a year on the Sea Princess for I'm not sure how many years now. But um, they're awful nice to lend us that boat. We, mm-hmm. we like those people, Sea Princess, in out of Northeast Harbor if you want a boat ride on a nice day. But... Um, uh, we're going to do it a little bit different this time. Yeah, we are. Um, quick uh, refresher for people who don't know that Some Sound, America's uh, only East Coast fjord, has been officially downgraded uh, to no longer a fjord. It's a fjord, you know, kind of like Pluto is no longer a planet. Um, so Some Sound, they say, the scientists say that uh, a fjord has to have... Uh, what they call anoxic sediment 
in the bottom of it. It's got to be deep enough so that the uh, mud on the bottom doesn't have any oxygen or has very little oxygen in it. And they were unable to find any anoxic sediment in some sound. It was not really deep enough to have any uh, what we would call dead zones. And are people talking about this all up and down Acadia National Park, or you know? Is yeah, it's been in the newspaper. I, 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 a lot of people have been talking about this. Um, we have I'll let you read that, but uh, we have uh, a plan to take care of the the uh, the Somme Sound to save it, so it can still be a fjord. We're going to uh, engrave a plaque, a wooden uh, a granite plaque. Freshwater Stone right here in Orland is going to make a plaque for us <laughs> that's going to be engraved with Long Live the Grateful Dead. And we're going to throw this plaque over in Somme Sound to therefore create a, a dead zone for that plaque. Alan's the punny one. You have to, you have to remember this. This is, uh, you know, well, uh, Fjord, Dead, uh, you know, and, and, and when we... Now, let me get this straight. I'm a sailor, all right? As we throw this granite plank overboard, will it be attached to a rope with a, with a buoy nope. on the top of it? No, it's going to be. Because otherwise, we're going to lose it, aren't we? Yeah, it, well, not lose it. <laughs> it's going to be establishing a permanent dead zone. Oh, I see. Because <laughs> there's another plaque in Somme Sound, and we've always uh, brought people to, uh, we yeah. used to back the sailboat up to it and make people touch the plaque right on the shore, you know, on, on the granite wall there. You can do there. that in Somme Sound. Yes, because it's so deep right next to that uh, yeah. uh, rock wall there. Yes, you can. It seems a little dicey, but it always works. So, yeah, this plaque will take a, a diver ed and tell, explain about diver ed because we're we're gonna oh, go in a different boat. Diver this ed, time. yeah. I wish I could remember which show he's been on this show before. He, yeah, he is just a explain diver ed. How, did I just say that? <laughs> yeah, diver ed's boat is called the Starfish Enterprise. Let's start there. Okay, and uh, he works out of Bar Harbor, and he is an underwater superhero. <laughs> natural born underwater superhero yeah. uh, he, his boat is well equipped with underwater video cameras and he puts on his dive suit and dives down to the bottom with a boatload of people watching him on the TV monitor and he'll go down to the bottom and find starfish or whelks or you know, crabs, lobsters, whatever and he actually can talk uh, into his face mask while he's underwater and, and narrate what's, what's happening and puts on a, a very interesting, informative, and it's great for kids uh, show while you're actually on the boat watching real-time underwater exploration. Yeah, whether or not Dive Red was ever really right, he's been breathing compressed gases underwater uh, for a long time, so he's a bit of a character, okay? Yeah. And uh, the Starfish Enterprise is, is a hell of a nice boat. And uh, he, knows, he knows his stuff. And, and again, uh, above and below the water on this trip. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I, I believe it's going to stay entirely above the water on the on the cruise, but all but the plaque. Yeah, but the plaque, you know, yeah. the plaque is going to go over. And uh, so our our plan is we're going to be selling seats starting next week, selling seats at twenty dollars a person, just like for the boat talk cruise for people who like to come and witness this historic event. But the plaque itself for people who are unable to make it or who would like to uh, be part of the the uh, history of uh, this this event will. Uh, people can, for $50 a pop, can have their name engraved on the plaque so that they are actually what, what I call underwriters. Oh, consider it. Yes, so you, you, uh, you'll get a certificate, too, to keep uh, you know, in your business or home or whatever, uh, certificates uh, telling that you are uh, an actual underwriter of the 
dead zone, therefore saving some sound. So, All right. Yeah, let's let's uh, we have phone calls. Let's, let's well, and we need to uh, again. Oh. This is the uh, uh, fundraising week here at Community Radio and uh, Boat Talk. You know, uh, we try to do what we can to be good citizens around here, and people like boat talk. So you know, uh, it's it's uh, good when when. Uh, People pat you on the back in any way, shape, or form. And Chris and Lynn are from Madison, Wisconsin. They Madison. support WORT out oh, yeah, there, one of the great yeah. community radio stations of, of, you know, yep. all time. And uh, now WERU in Maine. They uh, checked out the front porch folk this morning and boat talk. So hopefully having a wonderful vacation uh, run around down East Maine. Well, thank you very yeah. much, folks. And the phone, if you'd like to make a pledge to 1-800-643-6273. I would urge uh, Chris and, and Lynn, while they're in down East Maine, to get out on the water and been thinking about it lately. And, and uh, you know, on, in any size craft, whether you go out on a charter it's, boat. It's pretty easy, really. A uh, whale watching boat or rent a kayak or, or uh, you know, a, Diver a canoe or, uh, you know, just uh, any way to, to get afloat. And the change of perspective, let alone the motion of the ocean, has uh, just got to be a good thing for anybody. Yep, yep. Yeah. The apprentice shop down in Rockland is a good one. Yeah. Uh, yep. So uh, I believe your father's on the phone. Yeah, well, we are uh, once again doing the uh, fundraising edition of Community Radio this month. And uh, one of the cool things about having a, a radio show, especially like Boat Talk, is you can talk to anybody and you can say, hey, you know, could I, could we talk to you on our, on our radio show? And it's, uh, uh, like I say, it's a, a great people thing. And it occurred to me on Father's Day that I could talk to my dad on Boat Talk. So, good morning. Uh, Bob Joyce, are you there this morning? Good morning, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you on your show. Yeah, down in Cumberland, Maine this morning. Exactly. Yeah. Now, Dad, you uh, got drafted in the United States Army and served in the 747th Amphibious Tank Battalion. Amphibious Tank and Tractor Battalion is the correct nomenclature. Yeah, and again, uh, we love a good oxymoron around boat talk, so, uh, you know, uh, floating tank. Uh, it occurred to me that I could chat you up on the radio, you know. And uh, we love to ask people. We can't really ask you the what we call the standard boat talk question. Is uh, I don't think really applies to you because you're not really a boat person uh, as much as I turned out to be. But we like to ask people what messed you up about boats when you were young. But when you were young, boats were big in your world because your father worked on boats. My father was a longshoreman uh, for his career. He was an Irish immigrant from Galway uh, and a fine, fine gentleman and a very hardworking man when there was work on the Portland, Maine waterfront. And you guys lived up on Munjoy Hill, which is the the top of Portland Harbor. It is the top of Portland Harbor, and we lived at uh, on Waterville Street, which is on the water side uh, of the hill, where you could look down into Casco Bay. Uh, and Casco Bay, during the wartime years, was the anchorage for the North uh, American fleet. Uh, and as a kiddo during the war years, it was interesting to see the array of Navy ships uh, parked way down there and uh, coming and going, and Portland was a little bit of a Navy town uh, during the war. And you were in high school, uh, what, graduated Chevrolet High School just after the war, didn't you? I graduated in 1946, so it was immediately after the war. 
I would think I call that good timing personally. My draft number came up uh, the year they stopped taking people after Vietnam, you know, and I uh, thought that was some pretty good timing anyway. Um, but you're, uh, and again, we got uh, brothers and sisters. We do. We have, uh, you have five sisters and another and a brother. I was speaking of yours. Um, oh, mine. Yeah. My brother, uh, my two elder uh, elders in the family were my sisters, Mary uh, and Catherine. Uh, my other uh, relative in the family was my brother, Joseph, who served with the 8th Air Force during, in England during World War II. Yeah, which is, uh, again, an interesting perspective on, uh, you know, uh, once you get drafted, uh, and again, watching those ships in the harbor and the history uh, going on while you're graduating high school. But anyway, you, uh, you graduated high school, went to uh, university down in Nova Scotia, same as I did, St. Francis Xavier University. And graduated in 1950 and knew that uh, having taken a physical, that I would be inducted into the Army uh, very, very soon. In my last couple of years at the university, I worked at the commercial radio station in town, CJFX 580 on the dial, and uh, I was inducted into the Army on December the 4th, 1950, and served until December of 1952. The Korean War broke out in June of 1950. They were uh, really uh, needing a lot of people at that time. I have a distinct memory of uh, reading a bulletin that came in uh, about the attack by the North Koreans and into South Korea, and uh, it is vivid in my memory and uh, placed there especially since my best pal during my high school and boyhood years was Leo Hadley. Uh, when I went into the Army, I would correspond with him uh, frequently. He eventually went into the Marine Corps and was killed in action in Korea in uh, 1951. So it was a, a strong turnaround. Like I say, they needed a lot of people now. Uh, when I was growing up, there was a uh, sergeant's tank jacket hanging in the upstairs closet when there was also a uh, yearbook from the 747th Amphibious uh, Tank and Tractor Battalion. So uh, you ended up in, in that outfit. Uh, um, a sergeant, what, what, did, what was your job? Well, I ended up as uh, the lowest form in the Army, which at that time was designated as RCT, a recruit. Uh, I was inducted into the Army at Fort Devens in Massachusetts and uh, then spent about five days getting to with a group of other draftees uh, who were headed for Camp Cook in California, which is located near Santa Maria, California. Uh, and that base was chosen for the 747th because it was an easy access to the uh, beaches there, which was the border of the base uh, for training for both the tanks and the tractors. The tractors aren't connected with the normal thing that we think of, of plowing fields and whatever. Tractors were designate to carry uh, a tractor load of uh, infantry to the beach, fully armed and ready to follow the tanks as they made the landing on the beach initially as a firing and heavy-duty shooting force 
uh, followed rapidly by the tanks that uh, turned, dropped their gates, and discharged the infantry troops aboard them. Tractors get to tow tanks sometimes, too? Uh, occasionally, that was the case. Uh, the tanks were the interesting thing. I was in a tank company, A Company, and uh, they had a bow shape, and when we were coming into a beach that had heavy sh- uh, surf, you had to be sure that your timing was correct, that you joined the crest of the wave as it was coming in rather than being in front of the wave, which could pick up the rear end of the tank and tip you forward, which is not a very good position to be able to fire a cannon, which was 75 millimeter, uh, or machine guns, which were 50 caliber that were on the tank. Well, I was going to start with asking you what makes the tank float before I was going to get to what about hanging 10 and messing up in the surf. What makes the tank float? Well, these tanks were very buoyant, uh, and the tanks uh, obviously had an open uh, cockpit so that if you timed poorly, you could get surf that would wash into the tank. Uh, The tank was manned by six people, a driver and an assistant driver, a loader for the weapon, which was a seven, uh, 75-millimeter cannon, uh, not a very heavy weapon, but one that was meant to literally pick up and hit uh, in a high arc over the beach uh, for whatever installations were there. Uh, the gunner uh, and the uh, commander of the tank, which was normally a non-commissioned officer, uh, and that's what constituted being in a company and doing training for that uh, and attending a variety of other schools uh, in the Army during my time there, which I uh, look back on with uh, good memories. And which which uh, duty were you performing in the tank? Uh, you rotated around, so you performed all of the duties of the tank. You learned to, uh, to drive them, how uh-huh. to time them, so you would hit the crest of the wave coming in as the assistant to the driver, uh, uh, operating the uh, tracks of, of the tank. Uh, you were also a loader uh, to load the gun, uh, the 75-millimeter, uh, and uh, also the gunner itself sighting uh, targets uh, if they were available and uh, firing the uh, cannon. Uh, and then the uh, tank commander who had uh, was sitting up on the top side of the thing, in the open cockpit, uh, firing a 75 mil, uh, excuse me, a 50 caliber uh, machine gun. Now let's put it in context. Uh, floating tanks, you know, they uh, um, they're still in use. Yes, and they got them up uh, uh, starting uh, most significantly at D-Day, and most of them sank at D-Day and and uh, drowned their crews. But the idea of of introducing that firepower to uh, an amphibious assault kind of overwhelming and and then the marine corps of course sort of owned that in they do. in, in yep. the united states but the army wanted to have the finger in the game too didn't they always needed to have that capability too uh well they did i think we were unique in the army at the time uh i'm not sure what the situation was for the landing forces uh, used. i used i would think with uh dur- during world war ii primarily in the pacific uh they would have been marine units now, um, are these tanks uh, maneuverable? Can you steer and go where you want? You can. You can steer them. They had tracks, and if you eased off on one t- set of tracks as they were protel- propelled, 
you could turn them, and uh, you were when you were discharged from the landing ship tank, an LST Navy ship that we trained from, uh, we would join in a circle and then a string out uh, before going on to a beach, and we conducted that type of operation uh, using Camp Pendleton as our target, uh, which is the Marine base in Southern California, uh, in conjunction with the Navy, and the Air Force was flying overhead with uh, fighter planes and it was quite a spectacle, as I remember that uh, training exercise. Now you, um, I, I would guess, drive these things off a uh, landing ship tank uh, down a ramp into the water. You look at each other, go, "Yeah, wow, we're floating." And uh, but what can go wrong on a on a floating tank? Uh, they're thin-skinned. Uh, the armor protecting them uh, is not all that uh, heavy, and uh, uh, if there isn't enemy that is firing back with no good intentions for you intended, uh, uh, they could penetrate those tanks. Uh, uh, or, if you your timing was right, water could come crashing through the open turret and uh, stop you in your, in literally in your tracks before you got to the beach and foundered. Because it's easy to mess up on a surfboard, let alone surf a tank, mm-hmm. timing being everything, and uh, you know, I don't know how, how many tons those vehicles are, but um, were there, uh, I would guess, uh, I, I remember from reading the notebook there, the, uh, yearbook, uh, pictures of tanks in the surf and, yep. and, uh, you would think they would founder every once in a while. Uh, no, we did not have that experience, uh, uh in, in my time in training that, uh, all of our vehicles, uh, lasted and, uh, served us well, but and, the, there's a, the model in today's uh, military, particularly with the Marines, is a much more refined uh, copy of what was the status in uh, 1950, a long time ago, 64 years. Did, did your tanks um, have bilge pumps in them? Uh, no, they did not. If so, the water came in, you either bailed it out with a bucket or... Uh, just dealt with it, huh? Or dealt with it. Nothing like a scared situation. soldier with a helmet uh, for digging a hole or, or bailing a, you know... Uh, trench, I would think, uh, you know, in the right the, conditions. The helmet would come in handy. Yeah. Well, thanks for your service. And you, uh, luckily, uh, you know, were used stateside during the Korean War. I was. Yeah. I had the opportunity. Uh, I entered the Army with a lot of question marks of what was ahead of me, but uh, the experience is uh, uh, part of my life that uh, I, I treasure, that I saw service at uh, both uh, Camp Cook in California at uh, Fort Ord, in, also in California. Uh, I went to school for the Army uh, at Fort Slocum in New York. And two days after I arrived at uh, Fort Slocum at the Armed Forces Institute, uh, I had a note in my mailbox to report to the Deputy Commandant the following afternoon. I did. I went through the military pro- uh, protocol of saluting and coming in and reporting that I was reporting as ordered, and an Air Force major got up from his desk and walked around toward me, and he said, oh, no, 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 sit down, sit down. He said, do you have a sister, Mary? And I said, yes, she's my oldest sister, Major. And he said, "I my name is Charlie Loring, and I grew up on Anderson Street in Portland, and your sister was a co-graduate at Cathedral High School when I graduated in 1936. Hmm. Uh, and that was Charlie Loring from Portland, Maine, 
who in his return to Air Force flying duty uh, was shot down and uh, killed in action in Korea. Uh, and for his heroism before being shot down, he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. Loring Air Force Base. That is correct, named yeah. for him. Small town, small small army, small neighborhood, you know. Small neighborhood indeed, and, yeah. and a, a, a thoughtful gentleman who assured me that if I got into any trouble while I was in New York, he'd help to bail me out, and uh, uh, I didn't expect that. He said, I don't expect you will get into trouble, but if you do, contact me and we'll see what you can do. A thoroughly wonderful man. Now, when I was chatting you up about uh, chatting you up on the radio, you were saying, oh, it was 60 years ago, I don't know. But you remember all that stuff so well. It's so important uh, part of uh, your life uh, and most people of their service, uh, you know, like to say. Uh, it was. I yeah. had great friends. And uh, the unit when I joined it was a reserve unit that had been activated from Gainesville, Florida, uh, which is the home of the University of Florida. Uh, and many of the cadre, the non-commissioned officers, uh, were post-grad students. For instance, on the tank that I trained on, uh, the sergeant who was in charge of that particular tank was in his second year for his master's degree in animal husbandry. And I said, uh, what is that, sergeant? He said, uh, dealing with cattle primarily. And I said, why, why would you train for that in Florida rather than Texas? And he said, Joyce, you're not too bright. There are more <laughs> cows in, Tex in uh, Florida than there are in Texas. So I got a lesson on the animal countdown in Florida. And again, a boy from Munjoy Hill gets to get out and see America and, you know, what exactly the world's right. really all about from the inside of a tank and not have to shoot anybody at the same time, which is good, too. So. And, uh, and in the cross-population of the Army to meet people from uh, all over the country, we had a large contingent that uh, joined the outfit uh, later on, and they were all from Utah, all Mormons, and the best kind of people you ever met in your life. Ah, nice. Now, i got to ask you, you uh, had a subsequent career. Army let you go. Uh, when the Army let me go, I returned to uh, radio, and uh, on one day, luckily, uh, through perseverance, had three interviews at WTVL in Waterville, WCOU in Lewiston, and WLAM in Lewiston. Uh, I got a job with WLAM, uh, and the owner of that franchise decided to put on a television station in Portland, which had no television station at that time, all who could get any kind of reception, mostly snowy, was from Boston. Uh, Frank Hoy, uh, uh, a wonderful, wonderful man and uh, a great broadcaster. He put Channel 53 on the air uh, in 1954. Uh, I was with that uh, until that collapsed as soon as Channels 6, 13, and 8 were granted by the Federal Communications Commission, and all of a sudden there were VHF rather than UHF channels in the Portland market. So I worked uh, for Channel 8 in the capacities uh, on air and uh, at a desk as station manager in later years uh, for a period of something like 30 years. 
And again, uh, you started on-air talent with, uh, and again, here I am on the community radio uh, as a boat builder exercising some of my, uh, you know, roots, I guess. But uh, on-air talent, um, uh, perhaps you could explain how Sergeant Joyce could also be called Commodore Bob. Well, one of the things, I was on the announcing staff when I initially joined WMTW Television, Channel 8, in uh, with uh, the studios at Poland Spring in Maine, home of the great water uh, that we drink. Uh, and uh, as there, I did a variety of things uh, as the fourth of uh, four announcers uh, and then was asked to put together the uh, outline of a kiddie show. It, most local stations had a uh, menu that, demanded that you have a live cooking show and a live kitty show. <laughs> so we had a, a magnificent woman, Edith Weber, my name, who did the uh, cooking show in the afternoon, which we all gathered around as soon as it was off the air to eat the goodies, uh, and the kitty show. I uh, was a character uh, known as Commodore Bob, had my own Navy, my own fleet, uh, and uh, had fill-in materials by way of uh, other entertainment with the Little Rascals, which proved to be a dynamite treat for the kids of that generation. Uh, it was very successful. We did the show for about five years, uh, and at that point, <laughs> both the show and the Commodore had run out of gas at a kitty show, so I went <laughs> on uh, to a career in promotion, uh, manager and later station manager at WMTW Television. I got to ask you one more TV question. When I was, I think, in high school, um, WMTW did a piece on the schooner Blue Nose out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, and you got to go for a boat ride that I was so jealous of. What, uh, what was that uh, all about? Well, that was uh, something done in conjunction with the uh, Department of Tourism out of Halifax, a part of the Nova Scotia government, uh, and it was to uh, go to Nova Scotia, and I've forgotten the name of the port we sailed from uh, in Nova Scotia, but we sailed into Boston Harbor uh, with much ado, with uh, fireboats shooting cannons of water. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it wasn't the just a normal, uh, like, say, entry. Yeah. No, it, it was something to do, and... Uh, uh, the Blue Nose was tied up uh, at the docks in uh, Boston for people to board and so on. And there's, a, at that time, uh, a very large contingent of uh, Maritimers uh, were living in the Boston area. So, But we stayed for a little bit when we landed in Boston and then continued on back to Maine and back away from a wonderful trip uh, from Nova Scotia. Uh, across the bay into uh, Boston Harbor. Oh, and I remember being nothing but jealous when I was a kid. But as a kid, again, I went I went out on the neighbors' boats, and out sailing with the neighbors' kids. And and frankly, your idea of a good day around the water was a beach chair with a book and seven kids in the water, right? You get that a hundred percent correct. Yep. <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, pretty good family, uh, seven kids, and everybody's happy and healthy. With current uh, branch offices and for your sister Peggy, who is in Tacoma, Washington, uh, your brother Dan, who is in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 
uh, and your sister, Teresa, who works at Boston College in Boston, Massachusetts. So we have the top of the country for visitation rights anytime we're ready to go. And, you know, let's go back to Pa for a minute, the Irish immigrant who uh, came, came, what, to Montreal in 1911, didn't he? He arrived in, uh, that is correct, and uh, eventually migrated into Portland uh, and was a, uh, a longshoreman for his entire working career and did part of his working career as uh, a hod carrier, bringing bricks up a ladder so that they could build some of the buildings in downtown Portland and so on. Well, I was going to point out Pa was never really well educated. No, be he sort was of an fairly literate, but, yeah. uh, and, but I can see the picture in my mind that during the war, he would be sitting beside the kitchen Philco radio with his hands uh, on his knees uh, listening to the uh, uh, news reports and so on when I was begging Kent to get possession of the radio so I could hear the latest episode of The Shadow. Yeah, and again, he produced some bright kids who have uh, produced some bright kids and prospered, and that's a great immigrant story right there. So uh, It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, your nephew, uh, Michael, your sister Kathleen's uh, oldest child, uh, graduated this past June from New York University. So it's a long way from the shores of Galway to, uh, to New York University uh, in a, a generation leap. Uh, but the boy also worked ferry boats in Casco Bay for his whole uh, earlier uh, high school, college years. And again, I hope that's messed him up and he don't get trapped in New York in some office building. <laughs> well, but we'll, yeah. we will see. He knows. He knows we're happy places. Well, anyway. if you want to see him, he'll, he's coming to Maine this couple, yeah. with, uh, this weekend and bringing four of his colleagues from New York uh, to get a sample of uh, living at uh, uh, his family's camp uh, on. Long Pond in Naples, Maine. Should be a good weekend if we can guarantee the weather. Yeah, well, again, you never know what the influences are, what sticks to people. And, and uh, you know, thanks for uh, talking to us about floating tanks this morning, Sergeant Joyce. We, uh, well, it's, I it's much enjoyed nice speaking to be hosted, with you. and it's nice to be acknowledged as Sergeant Joyce once more. Okay. I haven't heard that for, oh, 60-odd years ago. So thank you, Michael, and continued good luck with the show. Yeah, good morning. Love you. Thank you. Have you seen the um, any of the latest versions of amphibious tanks that they are developing now? But Marines can't say I have. No. <laughs> well, you you've probably seen pictures of the World War One tanks where the tread goes actually up the pretty much the full height of the tank and yeah. around around front. They're like that, but instead of having the uh, the regular tracks on the front, each each cleat is like a big um, sort of a styrofoam log. So you got all these flaps going flap, 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 you know, as they flick around, but they also add to the buoyancy. And uh, I've actually seen a, a YouTube video. They are amphibious, but they also have the advantage of being able to walk up onto the edge of ice or onto, you know, difficult shore edges with these big rubber ducky flap things on the front of them. They're very bizarre-looking I guess you'd have to call it a boat. but <laughs> Well, uh, you know, it's hard enough uh, boating, uh, you know, the actual operation of, of boats is hard enough with real boats, let alone uh, objects that shouldn't be boats, like tanks, or the fellow we talked to uh, who uh, made his Yugo automobile float. Mm -hmm. Remember him? He also, last time we heard from him, he fi was fixing up a school bus that he was going to float to Israel, 
And right. we haven't heard from him. I believe he, he got the school bus to float, and then his wife uh, yeah. uh, decided he wasn't going to go to Israel in the school bus, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it came to a sad ending. But, but anyway, we love a good uh, oxymoron around boat talk, and it's community radio, and, and I got I just got to interview my dad, who was a career broadcaster. How cool is that? That's you know, cool. uh, whether it was good radio or not, it was good fun. Hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, and uh, uh, we're asking you to support boat talk this morning. There's people out in the kitchen with cookies and, and uh, biscuits and, and popsicles and, and uh, you know, crackers and stuff, and give them a call, um, the number. 1-800-643-6273 is the pledge line. Yeah. If you'd like to make a call in to Boat Talk to uh, talk with us on the air, that number is one eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight. We gotta do something for fifteen more minutes. Besides, uh, brag ourselves up and beg. And uh, I'd like to uh, uh, point out something that uh, just the other day, little uh, uh, boat thing. I was in Castine on Sunday afternoon, and I was going up along the shore road there, up the harbor, and I looked over and uh, looking for a certain boat, and there's a boat there. It don't look right at all. Yeah, it's, they stand uh, out when they're not all lined up like uh, Yeah, them. well, uh, sometimes they don't all line up in, uh, according to the tide in Castine Harbor. It's a funny place. But uh, here's a sailboat, um, mid-30-odd feet, light blue hull. It is laying on its side. Yeah, the mass is like at a 45-degree angle. It's laying on its side, yeah. and it has gone on the middle ground in Castine Harbor on the day of the biggest tide in, in sight and gone aground on a fallen tide. And, and when I saw it, it was uh, just almost completely out of the I water. Uh, laying outside about 45 degrees. Now, the talk around town was that that fella and that boat had been around Cape Horn. Wow. All that blue water under, and he runs aground in Castine. Wow. Exactly the lesson, my friend, okay? And we like to talk about, uh, on Boat Talk, one of our little things is you can't fake experience. You've got to earn it, you know? Mm. And no matter what your experience is and, and how salty you are, you can still get it handed to you by the ocean and your boat on a perfectly fine summer Sunday afternoon in a, in a pleasant harbor, you know. And, uh, you know, we all best be humble before the sea all the time. So, uh, yeah, there's a lesson there for somebody. And, and I believe that uh, Kenny Eaton from the boatyard went over there and, and tended to him and, and got him off. They floated uh, pretty calmly. And, yeah on the big tide and got her tied back Get up. the tide right. It's not yeah. too much of a problem. We do have a phone call, so let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. So my dogs told me to call you. <laughs> now it's Johnny for the host of uh, this space, and one week will be uh, Dog Talk, I believe. Something the, like the that. The third Tuesday of the month. Third, third Friday. Thursday. 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 There we go. Yeah, well, I, I wake up know? some mornings going, is it, that to, is it this to, oh, my God, what Tuesday is it, so. Yeah. So anyhow, the dogs are uh, rather annoyed. Uh, they really want to know what in the world is going down in Rockland where you're holding dogs underwater. They uh, told me to call the ASPCA and have a undercover agents next year. They want to know, are you going to get uh, Dick Cheney and do waterboarding next year? Mm, what is I going don't think we have there? to smash the window quite yet. Um, you know, okay. Perhaps we could look for the owner and have a reasonable discussion first. You know, I'll have to talk to John and just say uh, we've stepped over the line because the dogs don't like baths, which means they don't like water. And and when they heard that there were dogs being held underwater, 
The they dog, they I believe, swam back by itself, didn't it? They and it the didn't. They were rescued by the golden retriever. Right? Oh yes, and there was a golden retriever who will rescue anything, including uh, this. This golden retriever looks down in Cundy's Harbor next to the uh, lobster dock, likes to roll in bait, and tries mm. to pull ashore lobster tra- lobster buoys that are attached to traps, and of course can't do it. So you know. So they were they were sticking together. And no, the uh, the uh, little dog uh, again swimming back towards the dock, and and the golden retriever jumped in and went towards him to, to yep. shepherd him back yeah, in, I'll you know, say, like safety side by side. Yeah. Safety officer, lifeguard kind of, it was cute. Uh, it went over well with the crowd too. So uh, no dogs were harmed and, and certainly no ill intent. I, I should know, explain Johnny that um, I, when I say held underwater, what person did was had the dog in arm, you know, was holding the dog in her arms when she jumped overboard. So they both went underwater together and she was holding onto the dog. It wasn't like she was, Viciously holding a device. Oh, and she was a lovely, lovely woman, too. Uh, You know, uh, she was awful nice besides. So, again, good people, uh, good times, uh, you know. And what will we be doing on on Dog Talk here next week, Jonathan, while we're trying to raise money for community radio and get people excited Uh, about the possibilities? Yes, well, I haven't had a uh, haven't had the response, uh, you know, definitely yet, but uh, I'm trying to interview a... uh, a doctor on an emergency. He's an emergency veterinarian and uh, also is uh, a pro pit bull advocate. So uh, I figured it was time for another another show on the breed with a need. So we're going to try and combine all that. But I haven't got a uh, con- con- confirmed uh, time yet. So I'm working on that. And again, while we're bragging up community radio this morning, and ask people to support it by calling one. 800-643-6273. How cool is it to have a radio show and be able to call up anybody concerned with your favorite subject, dogs, uh, you know, mine, boats, and, and say, hey, uh, you know, can I talk to you about this, especially on the end? You know, it's pretty cool, isn't it? It's powerful, man. It's powerful. It's you learn fun. so much. It's I have fun. learned so much from from the show. It's just the uh, learn. Amazing. Yeah, no, you're right yeah. there too. I have learned a little bit. <laughs> I'll admit that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you impossible. go. Just you just want to make sure the dogs were safe and uh, and everything was good. Uh, we referenced the uh, uh, my current dog uh, question. I heard it on on the Wolf Meow show on another uh, local commercial radio station. Yeah. And uh, the vet in uh, question alleged how uh, some dogs uh, can't swim. Not all dogs can swim is what he said. Uh, Some breeds uh, really don't want to swim at all. Uh, And uh, all dogs can profit from a life jacket because they're warm-blooded. They get cold and tired just like we do. True. And in in, um, Italy, uh, every single supposed uh, rescue team offshore has a uh, Newfie. They drop them out of uh, out of uh, helicopters to to help in rescues. So, how do they, Newf- how do they feel Newf- about that? Talking about being held underwater, you imagine a dog being thrown out of an airplane? Well, it's low. No, not uh, an airplane, a helicopter. They well. drop it down low, and uh, and uh, yeah, that's a good point too. <laughs> All right, over to Italy. We got to investigate this. Okay. Ciao, baby. Ciao. Yes, we have done those too, and. Uh, this is Boat Talk here on Community Radio. Our call-in number, if you'd like to quick, in the last 10 minutes, get in and uh, make a comment on Boat Talk is one 625 9378 If you'd like to make a pledge, the pledge number is 1-800-643-6273. And I'd like to say a thank you to uh, Anonymous down in, in uh, 
Oh, August. August in Orland, who has become a new member. And I have another one just in here from Star in Trenton. Made an additional gift. uh, Star says that Mike's interview with Dad was a very interesting and touching story. Oh, nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Because, like I say, we had a good time, too. If anybody else liked it, that's just, you know. And it's community radio. So, Um, again, uh, it's a powerful tool, and we got one. Um, you know, yeah. think about when they have uh, the revolution, for instance, the first thing they go for is the radio transmitter, and, and we got one. So what's that worth to you, whether you know anything about boats, dogs, or uh, babies, other subjects that we do here, uh, uh, health shows, yep. uh, local Native health Americans. shows, uh, local uh, farmers shows. Uh, what else do we have that's local here? Uh, the local Native American show. There you go. Alan, Alan, Alan no, um. Well, I've forgotten the name of that one, but I would like to, uh, while we still have time, to uh, recommend people who are interested in the uh, the controversy that uh, kind of surrounds the harvesting or the growing of uh, pen fish along the coast here. Uh, there's an article in this, uh, in the June Fisherman's Voice, the June Fisherman's Voice um, by Paul Molyneux about... Uh, Wild Habitat versus Fish Pens, and it's a very interesting article. Paul brings up a lot of good points about uh, some of the possible negative effects of uh, fish farming. Paul has been a guest on uh, Boat Talk in the past, and he has international experience in the field and is a a bit of an advocate um, as a, he's been also a real fisherman, and again, not a big fan of uh, uh, fish farming. But uh, this doesn't involve what's going on in the Bagaduce River, does it? Which is more local fish farming hitting the news nowadays. That, again, is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the working waterfront uh, going up against the, the uh, home waterfront, the recreational waterfront, mm-hmm. the, you know, the summer, you know. Uh, and, again, uh, there's uh, more corners to that than we'd like to get into on boat talk. And, uh, but, anyway, it's all related, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you can go to fishermansvoice.com if you'd like to out that article from the June Fisherman's Voice. Yeah. So we're coming up close to the end here on Boat Talk. I can pull out a couple of the tricks out of the hat if you don't have any. Oh, you have an eel board thing. There. Well, the, um, I didn't get a chance to uh, uh, highlight this before we sat down, but the long and the short of it is an article from the uh, recent Ellsworth American by our friend Stephen Rappaport. Uh, Ellsworth American has a uh, waterfront column every week that's a page and sometimes two and it's just consistently excellent it's one of the first things you turn to in the front section of the Ellsworth American in my in my view but um, we had a uh, show last uh, spring about eels the Elver fishery in Maine Um, the year before was the second largest fishery after lobsters in the state of Maine and uh, the figure of how many millions of dollars will not come right to my head, but it was more than a couple. And uh, this was a cash fishery where these uh, little tiny uh, wiggles uh, that you get in, uh, you know, in a milk jug, uh, a pound of them, worth uh, uh, up to $3,000 uh, at the height of the thing. And uh, they would give you $3,000 cash on the waterfront in Ellsworth, Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year before this, one night, half a million dollars cash change hands. Boy, it's a hard How's thing. that for job? <laughs> uh, you know, you want uh, job uh, programs and, you know, uh, get the money going around? Wow. Mm-hmm. So um, this year, 
they uh, had new regulations. They had quotas this year, and the quota was uh, only 84% met, I believe, something like that. The quota was not fulfilled that was allowed. Um, not for lack of eels. There were uh, big eels running sometimes when it was shut off for them. Other times they would get their limit. Even though they were surrounded by eels, they had to pack up and go home. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And the price never uh, peaked at uh, former levels of several thousand dollars a pound. Uh, so the American Eel Board is having meetings, and uh, these eels are all up and down the East Coast. Only South Carolina and Maine have a elver fishery for the juveniles. The juveniles, once again, are caught uh, by the pound. Uh, several thousand of them make up a pound, and uh, they get shipped to, to the Far East, Taiwan, say, and grown out and, and uh, fed in ponds and then shipped back to... Uh, the sushi place up in Ellsworth, you <laughs> yeah. know? And uh, so uh, no they just had a meeting, and they are uh, talking about uh, how is this affecting the eels, and the uh, current proposal includes no eel season next year or in the foreseeable future. Ooh. And having gone from the second largest fishery after, after lobsters to uh, are we even going to have one next year is... Uh, yeah. Quite a shock for them boys. They've been pocketing all that cash. Yeah. Well, experience you know? that with shrimp too, man. Yeah, we're and coming up against it. I need to. Uh, phones ringing too, talk. and we got people to thank somehow. Uh, yes, we do have some thank yous going out to uh, Heather in Surrey. Heather in Surrey, and it doesn't say if she's first or anonymous in town, new member renewal or what. Uh, none of that, but thank you, Heather. She's listening. Thank you, Heather. Uh, anybody who calls up during. Um, any of the public affairs programs during this week, during our fundraiser week, will put into a, be put into a drawing for a book entitled Outliers, The Story of Success, according to our station manager, Matt Murphy. It's a very good book by Malcolm Gladwell. I always like the name Gladwell. Just such a happy-sounding name. Anyway, Public Publishers Weekly describes Outliers as Gladwell tears down the myth of individual merit to explore how culture, circumstances, timing, birth, and luck and account for success, how historical legacies can hold others back despite ample individual gifts. So you, anybody calls into any public affairs show during this week will be put into a drawing for that book. And time for us to make room for a Rich Hill singer coming up next here on Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. Around the world WERU.org Thanks for listening to Boat Talk this morning, even if you don't know nothing about boats. Support for WERU comes from Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers for 30 years near the harbor in Camden. GambleandHunter.net. Support for WERU also comes from Alex.